Hi, everybody. This is Bill Cloud once again, and welcome once again to our Hebrew Treasures series. Today, we're going to be talking about the word kavod. Kavod, it's spelled chaf, bet, vav, dalet. Remember, we read Hebrew from right to left. Kavod, and it means glory. It means splendor. And the first time we see this word in Scripture is actually used to describe Jacob and the fact that he had obtained a lot of wealth in Syria. Let me read that for you in Genesis chapter 31, verse 1. Now Jacob heard the words of Levan's sons saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from, and from what was our father's he has acquired all this wealth. And the word there, wealth, is literally glory. In fact, I think the King James may render it as glory. But the idea here is that Jacob is a wealthy man. The, the word that is translated as wealth or glory is hakavot. Of course, now, the accusation that's being made against Jacob is not true, but that's not what we're really focused on here. But we just wanted to see that the word for glory as it's first introduced to us in the Hebrew text, is actually rendered as wealth or abundance or riches. And so then how is the idea of glory or splendor, how is it connected to the idea of wealth and riches and abundance? Well, here's the idea. It's through the root meaning of this word because the root word kavad actually means weighty, something that's heavy. And so the idea here would be that someone who is wealthy, someone who has riches, uh, it's implied that that person is weighed down with all of these valuables. Imagine a bag of gold or silver or what have you. And so that's where the concept of it being weighty, it being heavy. And so from that, we get the idea of riches abundance, which is, again, connected to the idea of glory. Because a person who's bestowed with such riches, with all this abundance, is considered to have received glory. Now, consequently, and this is in an ideal situation, someone who is weighted down with all this riches, with all this glory, is typically someone that we would bestow honor upon. We would bestow respect upon that person. And so kavod connects being weighty to things like wealth, to things like honor, to things like respect, and of course, glory. All these things are kind of tied together. Now, these, these things can be applied to a person. A person can uh, it can be said of a person that they've received glory or they received honor and respect or they might be wealthy. But what we're going to focus on is how it applies to the Almighty and how it applies to us, uh, consequently, uh, as His people. Now, the first time we see the term being used to denote honor, it's speaking of the Creator, and we find it in Exodus chapter 14, verse 4. He says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor. And that term there is ikavda, and you can see the root word there. Ikavda, I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all of his army, so that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And so reading into this, what we know is that the Egyptian people, Pharaoh, all his servants, 
They were being visited by the Creator, and this visitation involved plagues, and He was judging all of the gods of Egypt and all the things that they put their confidence and trust in and all the things that they venerated. All these things are toppling, and through natural phenomena and different things, God is showing them that your gods aren't gods. And so as this process unfolds and Pharaoh hardens his heart because, remember, he's considered to be a god in Egypt. He's hardening his heart. Well, every time he does that, and then God judges another of their, uh, their idols or the things that they worship, he is gaining honor over Pharaoh. He is gaining respect of the Egyptian people. They are bestowing this respect upon him, not necessarily because they wanted to, not of their own volition, but because he is demonstrating his power, he's demonstrating his might, and this is how he is bestow, uh, how he is garnering honor and respect from the Egyptian people, because they are feeling the weight of that visitation. Now, later on at Mount Sinai, this very same word is used to describe God's appearing at Mount Sinai before the people of Israel. So it's in Exodus chapter 24, beginning at verse 16, it says this. Now the glory, kavod, the kavod of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called out to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And the sight of the kavod, the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. And so we can only imagine what kind of brilliance they saw, what kind of splendor they were witness to. To, but it was, as the, the, the text tells us, it was like a consuming fire. And so the glory, the kivod of the Creator, even though it's related to the idea of weighty or abundance, is also manifest in a, a magnificent way. Um, riches, the things that men deem to be riches, gold, silver, what have you, there's a certain brilliance to it. There is um, a splendor to it, the way it appears, the way it catches our eye. Well, many times over, this is what's being conveyed to us when the glory of the Lord is being witnessed by the children of Israel at the top of, uh, the top of Mount Sinai. This brilliance, this splendor, something that, in fact, it was so brilliant, they couldn't look upon it. He had to cloak it with this thick, dark cloud because the people could not look upon the brilliance. I can only imagine what would have happened. Well, we know what would have happened. They would have died. In fact, later on when the Solomon of Temple is dedicated, it's recorded for us in 1 Kings chapter 8. It says, And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory, there, there again, the word kevod, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Now, in this particular passage, not only do we see that the presence of the Creator is there in the house, the kevod, but we see the connection to the fact that it's born out of a root word that means weighty, heavy. Because the weight of his glory was such in the temple that the priest could not stand to minister because we understand that no flesh shall glory in his presence. I grew up in 
a Pentecostal uh, environment. Some people would call it uh, in these days charismatic or spirit-filled. But anyway, uh, a lot of times we would have a very uh, lively worship service. That's putting it mildly. And I can remember people saying that, well, we, we, we invite the glory of God into this place, or we want the glory to come into this place. We want the glory to be so thick, uh, just like it was in the temple. And I remember thinking as a child that that's kind of scary, first of all. But I also remember thinking, you know, if, if the glory of God was actually with us in that way, we would know it for certain because no one would be able to stand because His glory is weighty. It's heavy. We, we even sing about, let the weight of your glory. Well, if that happens, we'll know because no one will be able to stand. No flesh shall glory in His presence. And from that, we see that we are bestowing honor. We are bestowing respect upon the one who is worthy of that glory. Now, we're going to turn to another idea here that's connected to this same word, and that is the root word, kavad, also means to sweep, just like it sounds, like you, you, to take a broom and you go into a house and you start, you start sweeping it out. Well, that's the word kavad, to sweep. And the connection here is tied to the idea that if you have a place that should be treated with respect honorably, say a sanctuary, for instance, you would not allow cobwebs to build up. You wouldn't allow trash to accumulate. You would go in and you would sweep that place clean because that place deserves respect. It deserves honor. In fact, if it is the sanctuary, this is the place where his presence dwells. So it cannot remain polluted because it were, if it were to remain polluted, then his presence would not continue to reside there. So we have to keep the sanctuary clean. We have to keep contaminants and pollutants and dust and this and that. We have to keep those things swept out. So now when we acknowledge that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit and we want it to be the proper abode of the Holy One, that his presence, that his glory, if you will, would reside in us, then we understand that we have to keep the temple swept out. We have to keep it swept clean of spiritual contaminants and those things that would pollute and those things that would, well, make it a very unwelcoming uh, place for his presence to reside. Now, and in, in tied to that is kind of an interesting concept, and that is that the word kaved, spelled the same way, but the word kaved is the Hebrew word for liver. And I had to think about this for a while, but it became just immediately apparent to my wife. She says, because the liver is the organ that purifies the blood. It filters out all the garbage to keep our blood pure, if I can put it this way. The liver is the organ that keeps our blood swept clean of the things that would contaminate, the things that would pollute. And of course, because sin is a spiritual condition, we know that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So sin and blood 
kind of connected. The, the problem that mankind has is not external. It's an internal problem. It's a soulish problem. It's a problem that involves the blood. And that's why the Messiah came and he spilled his blood that mine might be purified. And because of that, we're obligated to show respect, to bestow honor, to acknowledge his glory. And one of the ways that we can do that is, well, he put it this way. If you love me, keep my commands, keep my instructions, do what I've asked you to do, live the way that I've asked you to live. And and if you're watching this, then I will, will presume that that's the course you're on. You want to understand how we are to keep these commandments. Um, how we apply these things into our life. And and that brings about discussion. And sometimes it brings about debate about how these things should be done, which is leading me to this point. Because he has given us opportunity for our blood, if you will, to be swept clean of the spiritual contaminants that sin pumps into our lives. We keep his commands in, in part, is an effort to be on guard against those things that would contaminate the temple. Those things that he's told us, this is wrong, this is right, this is clean, this is unclean. We, we keep those commands as, as a way of trying to keep the pollutants out. But then as we pursue this and try to understand it better, we come to this realization that there are weightier matters of the Torah. So let me read to you from Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law or the weightier matters of the Torah, which are justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So first of all, I want to say that Yeshua is not saying that you don't have to do what Moses wrote, but he's saying in doing that, in keeping the commands, make sure that you keep the weightier matters. And he named three things here as being weightier matters, justice, mercy, faith. Now here's what I glean from that. Anyone can be taught to tithe mint, cumin, anise. Anybody can do that. But how can one teach another how to administer justice? How are you taught to display mercy? How can someone teach you how you exhibit faith? In other words, what I'm trying to say here, there are some things about the commands that we can perceive with our minds, our intellect. But then there are those things that I believe anyway, we only perceive, understand, and then walk out because it's in our heart. Because faith is going to look different, uh, differently for you than it does for me at times and in different scenarios and in different situations. Bestowing mercy is something that is born out of the heart. It, demonstrating justice is something that has to come from the heart. And so the weightier matters are matters of the heart, not necessarily the mind and the intellect. And if you think about it, The heart is where the Creator wishes to dwell. If this body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, His presence is supposed to reside here. His glory, if you will, is supposed to reside here. Well, where does He want to dwell? 
He wants to dwell in our hearts. The first and great command is you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, then your soul, your mind, then your strength. It all begins in the heart. And so again, the, the, as it relates to the commands and walking out these instructions that we've been given, there are weightier matters. And of course, weighty is what the root term kavad, from which we get kavod, glory, weighty is connected to the idea of glory. Those things that are, have splendor. So in a matter of speaking, what Yeshua was saying is that things like justice, mercy, faith, these are the more glorious matters of the Torah. These are the things that uh, speak of spiritual greatness. Because once again, anyone can be taught and then can go and tithe mint, cumin, and anise. But it takes someone who has a heart to hear what the Father is saying, a heart to receive what He's saying, a heart to uh, hide those things that we may not sin against you in order to exhibit justice, mercy, faith, these weightier matters. Moses in, uh, well, when the people of Israel are at Mount Sinai and, and Moses goes up and to confer with the Creator, at one point he says, I want to see your glory. He wants to see his glory. And of course, God says, you, you can't see my face and live. But here's what I'll do. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock and, and I'm going to pass by. When I pass by, I'll put my hand over and then you can see my back, but you can't see my face. And he says, I will make my goodness pass before you and proclaim the name of the Lord. And so when that did happen and he put him there in the cleft of the rock and he passed by, it says that he proclaimed the name of the Lord. And he said this in Exodus 34 Verses six and seven. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And, and he goes on from there, talking about not allowing the guilty to go unpunished, but extending mercy to those who love him, etc. But here's what I wanted to focus on. Moses was told, you can't see me face to face. You can't behold my glory. Again, at Sinai, as the people stood at the foot of the mountain, the glory of the Lord was on top of the mountain. And it was like this consuming fire, but they didn't see it directly. They couldn't. They could not behold his glory. And he had to cloak it in this thick, dark cloud, else they would have died. And, and likewise with Moses, you can't see me face to face, Moses, and live but yet I'm going to pass before you and I'm going to proclaim the name of the Lord. And as he proclaims the name of the Lord, here's what stands out to me in proclaiming the name of the Lord. As he describes himself, here's how he does it. Mercy, being gracious, long-suffering, compassionate, being abundant in goodness and truth. In other words, in proclaiming the name of the Lord, in describing himself to Moses and and by extension to you and to me, what we see is that he is the one who portrays, the one who demonstrates, the one who personifies the weightier matters, those things that pertain to the heart, spiritual greatness, if you will. That's who and what he is. So my point is this. As he is proclaiming the name of the Lord, it's speaking to the weightier, the more glorious matters of the Torah. What he's doing is he is he's giving us attributes of himself 
that it's possible for you and I to emulate. I can't emulate his omnipresence or his omniscience. I'm not all powerful. I can't duplicate that. I can't emulate that. But if his spirit is residing in me, if this is a temple of the Holy Spirit and he's dwelling in me, then I can emulate his attribute of mercy or else he wouldn't have told me to be merciful. I can emulate that attribute of being gracious, of being long-suffering. These are things that we can do. And we do these things not in our own abilities, mind you. It's not by might, not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. We can do these things by the Spirit of God, by patterning, patterning our lives after the life of Yeshua, who was the manifestation of the Creator. He exhibited mercy. He showed justice. He demonstrated faith. All these attributes that are God. And if we pattern our lives after Him, if we're governed and directed and guided by His Spirit, then we can do these things. We can emulate these things. We can manifest these things in the earth. I guess I'll sum it up this way. When we follow the Messiah, we are beholding the glory of God. In fact, John put it this way in chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So again, when we take up our cross and follow the Messiah and walk in his footsteps and do what he did. And we begin to manifest these godly attributes. In a sense, we are beholding God's glory. The weight of who and what he is has so overwhelmed and so overpowered us that our flesh no longer seeks to glory in his presence, but we submit this temple to be the proper abode where he resides. Well, that is it for this installment in our Hebrews, Hebrew Treasures series. I hope you enjoyed it. And we're looking forward to bringing you more in the future. Until then, shalom. Like what you're hearing? Become a Bill Cloud Premium Partner to watch or listen to hundreds of hours of teachings and resources on demand. Go to BillCloud.com slash subscribe to start watching today.